The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Time Masters, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, Pop Culture on Demand. Today is Thursday, January 20th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. I didn't come here to make friends. I know, right? And Millie Wood. It's all about the strategy. Hello. Oh, I love it. Y'all. Oh, Millie, put fantastic. some clothes on, for God's sake. I know, right? Oh, that was beautiful. Y'all are fantastic. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 7, Episode 9, which was titled Lowest Common Demoninator and aired January 19th, 2022. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. When Gideon jumps the time machine into the manor dimension, Astra realizes that a damn 90s reality show crew sneaks into the manor, causing havoc. Unbeknownst to the legends, the reality TV crew is causing emotions to spike, and Sarah and Ava share their true feelings about their roles as co-captains. Bayrod seeks advice about Astra from Nate and Zari, but... Bayrod finds that his past is put on display instead. Meanwhile, when Gideon's opinions are ignored and her relationship with Gary is dismissed, no one could have anticipated what happens. Alright, everybody. This was an hour dedicated to reality TV. If you are familiar with reality TV... If you've taken a little glimpse at reality TV, you you completely understood all of the references that everybody was bringing in this episode. Let's start off um, at the start of the episode, because everything is very chill and calm, and much like Bayrod, very cool, at the start of the episode. The Legends realized that Gideon uh, time-jumped them home, Home for her was uh, the manor. Uh, the manor, though, is uh, in hell because uh, when you know they something about the key, and you know they hadn't. Uh, no one had used a door to get into it, so the door isn't going to open to the last place that the key was used. It opens in hell. Can I just say Gwyn's reaction to the fact that he was in hell? It was beautiful. Uh, so let's talk about how the episode sets things up. Because there was a lot of setup to, to storylines that would pay off throughout 
the hour from Bayrod asking Astra and Nate about not Astra and Nate, but Bayrod asking Nate and Zari about Astra to Nate and Zari sort of bonding as time bro slash broette, etc. Etc. I'll start off with you, Professor. What did you think of the start of the episode before the chaos happens? You know, it was it was good. I think it it's better in retrospect because we do see how you know the the relationships played out. At at the beginning of it, just seemed a little bit you know anodyne, sort of you know just okay, we're here. Let's just you know have the characters be talking to each other uh, and all of that. But you know, it did end up uh, you know we did get a lot of payoff. From that, and you know, I mentioned uh, you know uh, Nate and Zari and and Bayrod talking to them, and you know that that obviously you know set that up. Uh, we had um, oh Ava going off to set up her murder board, and that ended up you know paying off humorously. So you know, it really did end up you know giving us a lot of great payoff uh, from stuff that, that just seemed you know very routine, you know, just sort of setting the characters up because we didn't know what was going to happen to them and how they take everything to the uh, the extremes that they did. So I thought it ended up working quite well, even though watching it, I just thought to myself, well, this doesn't seem very special in the moment. Oh, but boy, did it turn special in a big way. And unfortunately, it was because of Gwyn, you know, and, and I think it just would not have worked with any of the other legends because they would have known not to leave the door open uh, when you're in hell. But uh, Gwyn opens the door because he hears a voice, and uh, and he, he leaves it open. The house gets hot. Uh, demons end up jumping in. And uh, later on in the episode, we learn that a sort of damned crew, film crew from a 90s reality show has invaded the house. And uh, the producer ends up manipulating things in the house so that um, the legends react in extreme ways. Millie Wood, you love a good reality show. What do you think of uh, the reality show aspect that was brought in this episode? I never knew I wanted the legends to do this, and I didn't even know that, like, it would make sense or it was a thing until they did. I'm like, this is great. Um, it was so funny and on a reality kick TV show binge at the moment. So it was very like, I could identify with a lot of it. Um, it was so smart. I like how we've seen them be able to all the cast kind of do the time periods and do these things. But really what the past couple of episodes have shown is not only like time periods, but different styles. And so um, just seeing everyone, take on a reality TV show personality was great. Um, and everyone did like a fabulous job with it as well. It just added um, it being funny, but like well done at the same time. Yes. 100%. What are you binging? <laughs> Millie Wood. Now I'm just intrigued. <laughs> I just started watching too hot to handle. Oh Lord. Okay. Moving right along. <laughs> oh, Millie Wood. Oh, fantastic, though. Okay, Professor, I would assume, you know, because you are a man of academia, you probably look down upon the people that watch reality TV, right? Oh, gotcha. I mean, I don't watch any reality TV. Yet, despite that, I was able to appreciate all of the tropes they brought out. It's become such a part of the, the culture that you don't have to actually watch reality TV to realize, you know, I, I may not have, you know, 
realize that, oh, this is a version of a real housewife or this is a version of Jersey Shore. Like, I may not have been able to put it in terms of these specific shows that they were referencing. But because the characters that they played, because they were playing them so over the top, the tropes were obvious, even to someone who is not a watcher of reality TV. But yet you just did actually specifically reference the exact show that they were parodying. I was reading a, uh, a recap of it. That oh, okay. that Sarah oh. was doing a Real Housewives and, uh, and Nate was doing a Jersey Shore and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, and Spooner was doing Survivor. I think I got that one. I've never watched Survivor. But, you know, to say, you know, you're forming an alliance with someone and then show up naked. Um, you know, uh, even I realized that was a Survivor reference. Yes. Actually, I, I never, I've never seen Survivor. But I do know the very first season of Survivor... Uh, one of the contestants, I believe his name was Richard Hatch. I think he was actually the first winner. He was, like, always naked uh, in on Survivor. I don't know why I did not see the show, but I do remember he made news because he, for whatever reason, was always naked, and, and that's where that came from. And then, of course, all of her banter about alliances and that stuff, that was... That was Survivor, clearly. But, um, yeah, the reason she was naked was because of uh, Richard Hatch. So there you go. Uh, can I just say, Sarah Lance as a real housewife, just, it was, it was chef's kiss. Uh, I mean, Katie Lotz just was fantastic. She dove deep into that role in a spectacular way. When the earrings came out... And the liquor started pouring. I was like, are they really going there with Sarah Lance? And they did. Because it is like the antithesis of everything that Sarah Lance stands for. And that's why it was hilarious. It it was just brilliant and perfect. Much like Nate. You know, because I didn't know they were going to go Jersey Shore with him in the beginning. But then he just morphed into this Jersey Shore character that it, it was like everything. Like, I've never seen Jersey Shore, but I've seen clips. So he was like, whatever, Mike the Situation, Polly D, and all of them all wrapped up into one. And it was just brilliant. Like, the accent, you know, the GTL, Jim Tan laundering of it all, it was just brilliant and spectacular. And interestingly enough, amidst all of the ridiculata, because there was a lot of ridiculata in the best way possible, there was actually a very fascinating storyline that had to deal with Bayrod. Now, we've talked about Bayrod sort of like casual uh, drug use throughout the series' run. Like, we've talked about him being a stoner, him with his edibles and the gummies and all that kind of stuff. And it turned into a real storyline in this episode where he realized that he was using the gummies as a way to mellow out and to chill out, to sort of not deal with emotions and, and, and life in a way. And it's something that he picked up way back in the day when he starred on Cute, keeping up with the Tarazis. Or keeping, yeah, keeping up with the Tarazis. Uh, the Tarazi family's reality show in the future. It's kind of Kardashian-ish. Um, Millie, just a quick side note. Did you watch the Kardashians? No. Okay. That's the one I, like, refuse to watch. <laughs> oh, refuse. Okay. 
Those are strong words. Okay, so uh, the Tarazi started on their own, and uh, Bayrod did not like um, sort of being manipulated by producers to have outbursts and that sort of thing, because he actually did end up having an outburst on camera, and this out of the other, which led to his being uh, recast, in air quotes, I guess, uh, on the reality show. This was fascinating, because I did not expect this at all in this episode. Like, this episode was ridiculous. It was over the top. It was a lot. Yet, we wanted more. <laughs> Much like, I guess, a, a good reality television show. But we got this really fascinating storyline with Bayrod. Right, Professor? Oh, definitely. And, and you know, it sort of came out of nowhere. I think one of the things, you know, we've said in the past that when Legends is firing on all cylinders, they can do something that other shows in the CW-verse have trouble doing, which is find something for everyone to do, even though they've got a large cast. And this was a great example of that because everyone had something to do. Everyone was great. Everyone had their, their humor, but they still had enough time and space somehow for Bayrod to have a real development, uh, an explanation of his character and something that, that puts into focus what we've known, you know, we suddenly we see his character differently, you know, even though we've known him for a couple of years now. And we suddenly see all the things that he's done and the way that he's been portrayed in a different light. Uh, and he had that, you know, a, a great revelation, a great breakthrough, um, you know, uh, and it was well earned. But they didn't have to sacrifice the other characters in order to do that. And I think that's one of the amazing strengths of of, uh, of the writing of this show is they managed to balance. I think it would have been very easy for this to become a very Bayrod heavy show. Uh, and yet it wasn't. I mean, he had all the time he needed uh, and, and got all the development necessary. But, you know, it wasn't at the, uh, the, the the cost of the other characters. And I think that was, you know, a remarkable bit of writing. And also, you know, remarkable acting on the part of everyone else. Because even if they didn't have a lot of lines, they still did a lot with it. Definitely. 100%. Spot on, Professor. Millie Wood, I want to get your take on this as well. We got a lot of Bayrod in this episode. In, in a surprising way. I mean, I don't think uh, any of us would have expected this This was going to be a big episode for the character. Let's talk about, uh, you know, just the emotional stuff that he spoke about. Uh, were, was any of that surprising for you? Uh, was it interesting? Um, yeah. What did you think of Bayrod uh, no longer being just the cool dude, but really being raw with his emotions? I was surprised. I guess we finally got it because I feel like they've been hinting at it, and they have kind of struggled like what to do with Thera. Like he has taken on that persona. I'm glad they're breaking him out because obviously the actor does really well with lots of different ranges that we saw in a previous episode when he was like the business Bayrod. Um, so I really enjoyed that we get to see the emotional side. And it makes sense when you think about it. He kind of said like, you know, I died and I came back. We don't talk about that. He has a lot of things I think hidden because he takes that. Um, nothing affects me approach and I think that is kind of a bigger thing to say like you know everything affects people and it's just him finally processing it processing it um and I'm glad that we get to see that in a very like mature way and that he um could can like show that side of himself and I hope that kind of sticks around and we can explore that more of Bayrod. Outside of Bayrod's just sort of mental states and and um you know everything that he's kind of kept hidden from the legends and maybe even himself as he was numbing himself with uh, the gummies. We did get a tiny bit of development with Bayrod and Astra. 
So uh, since they're in hell, Astra is the one that really figures out what the hell is going on, and she even warns the legends about what's going to happen. None of them listen to her. Uh, it probably for our benefit. Let's be real, uh, because there, then there would not have been this fantastic episode. Uh, so she ends up sneaking out to go and speak to the producer. Bayrod tags along. And uh, because of that, Bayrod really gets into a very precarious situation. Um, and Astra's sort of, you know, some of her feelings for Bayrod bubble up. She doesn't explicitly say anything, but we can tell by the acting that some of Astra's feelings start sort of bubbling up. And by the end of the episode, um, you know, when Bayrod does his big sort of pronouncement about, you know, this is me, he's like, he does end up saying, you know, you know, I have a crush on this, this girl and, you know, it's you, Astra, and whatever, whatever, whatever. So at the end, we do have a tiny bit of forward movement in this ship that we've seen coming for many episodes now like you know we we saw it out in the ocean and it's basically headed to the dock uh and uh what was interesting about it we always talk about how mature you know the writers write these characters there was a very mature moment here because astra leans in for the kiss i will also say that earlier in the episode when they were being manipulated by the um demonic uh, reality show producer, there was a moment where Astra and Bayrod almost kissed as well. But at the end, when they're in control of their own bodies, they almost kiss, but Bayrod stops it and is like, you know, before I dive into this and before I try to be the best boyfriend I can be, you know, to my crush, you know, I need to focus on myself. You know, I need to focus on, on this Bayrod, you know, the the non- gummified Bayrod first, you know, and, and, and process some stuff before I can be the best boyfriend for you and that sort of thing. Um, I will also say that Astra also confesses that she's had a little bit of a crush on Bayrod. So all of this is lead leading up to a question that I'm going to ask for you, Millie Wood, or ask to you, Millie Wood. You haven't been the best um, fan of Astra, you haven't necessarily been that keen on her. I know sometimes you do warm up to her, but at times, you know, stuff. Uh, what did you think of this? Uh, did you think, much like I did, that it was a very mature conversation? And uh, do you buy Bayrod and Astra as a ship? I don't buy them as a ship. I just, I personally think it's weird. I feel like it, there's not much chemistry there, but I do think it was a very mature conversation. Um, and I do appreciate which I, I don't ship it. They have been planting these seeds, so it's not like it came out of nowhere. Um, it's just not my kind of ship, I suppose. All right. You don't have a ticket to that cruise. I guess I'll be on the land watching you <laughs> on that cruise. Okay. I am on the cruise. I don't know if the professor is. Uh, but, Professor, what did you think of this little bit of development that we had on this ship? I have no idea what the ship is called. I'm going to have to, I guess, search Twitter to see if they have an official name. Um, Astra? Oh. Okay. That sounds like um, over-the-counter med medication or something. 
Okay, but P- Professor, are you a part of that ship? What'd you think of it? And uh, do you also uh, sort of champion the matureness of uh, the conversation? Yeah, I, I think, that, you know, as uh, as both of you have said, they have planted various seeds. I mean, we've gotten the sense that definitely, at least on Bayrod's point of view, we've known that there was that attraction. And as you mentioned, Jeff, you know, in that previous episode where we saw business Bayrod, we did definitely see that that side of, of Bayrod appealed to Astra. And so, you know, the fact that Bayrod is maybe, you know, moving away from his, his stoner, um, you know, uh, easygoing, laid-back uh, guy means that he will be more of the sort of person that Astra could be having uh, a relationship with. I, I also do, I really do like the idea that they're sort of taking the the mature approach to it, that they didn't immediately go in for the kiss. And, uh, you know, because, you know, Bayrod went through a very big moment of self-realization. You know, if he is going to be, you know, going without the uh, the drugs, that's obviously going to change his personality. It's like someone who, you know, uh, gets totally hammered and, you know, confesses, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, uh, and then, you know, you should really sober up before you actually, you know, start having the relationship. Um, and in his case, it's, it's kind of, you know, he has to figure out who he is going to be. Is he going to still partake in weed? Is he going to give that up entirely? And, you know, until he knows who he is, he can't really be in that relationship. And the fact that, you know, it wasn't a situation where Astra was like throwing herself that, you know, she'd been pining for him for some time. It was more a sense of, well, yeah, I mean, maybe I've had some slight feelings in that direction and maybe there's something here. I think, yeah, it, it allows us to, you know, we get the payoff of, of the seeds that have been sown, you know, over the past two seasons. Uh, But we're also getting a bit of a slow burn towards that. So, yeah, I think it is a very, you know, mature uh, approach to take to that rather than, you know, people just rushing in in the typical CW verse way. Very true. Now, this episode does sort of send up reality TV shows, reality TV tropes. Um, and, And the key word there is reality and and we do get some really real moments you know sprinkled through the ridiculousness and uh, one of those real moments comes with our co-captains we have uh, Sarah and Ava um really getting into it a little bit uh in a real way uh where Ava doesn't feel um, that, or she feels that she's taking sort of like the brunt of the, the co-captainage that, you know, she has to be the one that, uh, wrangles everyone together and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, it was an interesting moment. Uh, professor, I wanted to get your take on the Ava Lance moment that we got in this episode. And, um, I, I think you're going to say this, but uh, would you agree that it was it was an earned moment because Ava has been taking on a lot, especially during this whole uh, time in which the legends have been stranded. Oh, definitely, and and I think you know there's there's a realization whether it's you know that the uh, the writers of the show you know listen to what people are saying you know when they watch the show or you know in podcasts or in the feedback and stuff like that. It does seem that you know Ava has been thrust into the you know boring mom whereas you know sarah gets to be the the cool kick-ass assassin and you know there's there's obviously going to be you know an element of that because sarah is you know the the you know the co-captain but you know one of the ogs and you know an, an immortal killing machine uh whereas eva eva is just you know just in air quotes a you know super competent 
binder obsessed uh, clone. Um, so I mean, it, it it is harder for her to be more interesting. So I think it it sort of becomes inevitable. Um, we talked about the uh, the tropes. I don't know what trope uh, Ava was playing in terms of reality, but you know, she was clearly there as the mother figure. And I think sort of you know that uh, that brought out the the you know resentment might be too strong a word, but a sense that you know it has been falling upon her to to do the dirty work, you know, to be, to be doing the grunt work, whereas, you know, Sarah gets to live the more exciting life. So uh, again, you know, it, it's kind of interesting in that, even though this, this could be seen by some as, you know, the dreaded F word uh, kind of episode, the fact that we got these great character developments, not just for Bayrod, but for uh, Avalanche as well, uh, I think shows that, you know, it, it may have been a bit of a filler uh, episode in terms of not advancing the overall arc, although, it does seem by the end of the episode, they 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 have lurched forward on the arc uh, there. Um, you know, we did get the uh, the character development uh, with 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 a variety of the characters, not just them, but I think most of them. Maybe not Spooner, but almost all the other characters got some some real character development in what could otherwise have just been you know kind of a a filler bottle episode. But you know, they spent the time to develop that. And so I think Avalanche is a great example of that, that, you know, by having that sort of heightened reality of the reality show, it allowed the characters to experience that. And the fact that we didn't just reset as if none of this happened, everyone remembers exactly what they said and exactly what they did and is realizing the elements of that in themselves, which, you know, certainly I think the, uh, the, uh, the Sarah and Ava uh, moment uh, gives us a very real sense of, of, Oh Yeah they actually use this, this horrific experience to experience some character growth. Uh, and again, that's why, you know, uh, Legends is the, the dumbest smart show out there or the smartest dumb show out there because, you know, just when you think about a show where they're basically just mocking, you know, uh, reality TV tropes, and yet at the end of it, you have these characters who've gone through something and grown and developed and become stronger and more rounded and more interesting. My God, how, how clever is this show? I agree. Although... Professor, you did drop the F-bomb twice. And that's the kind of language I expect from Millie Wood. I'm just saying. I do apologize. I, I assume that uh, when you put this out... Oh, by the way, and, you know, just one of the uh, delightful reality TV tropes is, you know, because they're in hell, when uh, Gwyn uh, is praying, yes. they're beeping him out every time he's saying something that's religious. Yes. Oh, my God. Just, again, the genius of this show. And they sen- it in that way. <laughs> yes. And they censor when he's crossing him. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> so feel free to bleep me when I said the uh, the F word. Yes. Oh, my God. That was just, it was brilliant. Like, every single time. Oh, God. It was, uh, yeah, there you go. But, yes, it was spectacular. Spectacular. Uh, and ridiculous all at the same time. Let's talk about the time bro slash time broettes because i feel like this kind of came out of nowhere but yet it made sense we have uh, nate who's in a relationship with zari 1.0 og zari and uh, we have nate with a friendship with zari 2.0 and um he actually calls her you know, because, you know, we've had the, um, the, the term time bros in the past, and uh, Zari 2.0 ends up saying, oh, yeah, you know, because Bayrod's your time bro. And he's like, well, you're kind of like my time bro-ets. And even though she doesn't approve of that term, 
you know, there there seems to be a real friendship between Nate and 2.0. So much so that, you know, at a certain point, he's like, well, you know, you're kind of like a, a sister-in-law, in a sense. Like, he's, like, Bayrod's going to be a brother-in-law. And then they get into it throughout the entire episode. Uh, the producers tried to pair them up romantically. Um... The, the demonic reality show producers is what I'm saying. Uh, so there was that, uh, which was kind of like, eh? hilariously enough, because it's just, it's freaking Tala Ash. She plays both the damn Zaris, but it just, it didn't work because it's 2.0. But by the end of it, we do have um, an appearance from the OG Zari. Uh, she gets into some wine throwing, which was, it's, it's another reality television trope. Millie Wood, were you surprised to see OG Zari, and what did you think of uh, how 2.0 and Nate were handled in this episode? I'm with you. It was felt a little out of nowhere. Um, I, I feel like they tiptoed around like Nate with 2.0 Zari, especially than him going to totem forever. But um, it makes sense, and I'm, I think it's something that needed to be addressed because it was interesting. Like that whole difference between 1.0 and 2.0. Um, so I liked how they had it, and I also enjoy the the shift. <laughs> like, oh, you know, the romantic isn't working. Let's push them to be, like, against each other, and just the way that 2.0 Zari kind of reacted and just went down that rabbit hole. I was surprised seeing um, 1.0, or I guess OG Zari, uh, but I love that she popped up immediately through the wine glass. That was fun. But I also like how she brought a little bit of, like, her saneness and like logical thinking to the table as well. Yes, her saneness and logical thinking were at the forefront. Um, yes, I, I loved her first line. She was like, "This is weirder than usual." Like <laughs> that was fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, OG Zari is always welcome on our screen. So, speaking of other moments when things got real on this reality show uh, spoof episode, Gideon actually got a lot to do in this episode. Um, she was also doing a lot uh, with uh, Gary and his, what does she call it? his cute little bottom. Uh, there was that, or was it sexy little bottom, whatever the hell it was. Uh, his bottom. But um, <laughs> they get caught... Um, in bed, and everyone's shocked, everyone's confused. They, they being the legends, think that um, Gideon is, is sort of on the fritz, even though it's human Gideon. She's on the fritz because she's feeling all these emotions with Gary, and so they think that that's why she sent them to uh, the manor, even though it's in hell, and all this kind of stuff. So that allows Gideon to really question herself. And then when she gets, you know, into her, when she finds the confessional in the manor, and the uh, demonic producer ends up manipulating her with questions, like a lot of, you know, reality TV shows do. They manipulate the action to, for, the, for the better uh, footage that we all sort of eat up. Uh, Gideon goes full-on... Uh, reality show diva and she starts you know pulling the strings 
so that these reality TV character puppets end up doing the most for the cameras. At the end of it all, Gideon snaps out of it. There are some apologies. Uh, but, Professor, what did you think of Gideon in this episode? Um, how, how do you think Amy Louise Pemberton played it, especially when she had that switch about halfway through the episode? And uh, did you like how she played the confusion uh, or, or maybe even the um, her reacting to the legends being very dismissive of her? Well, before I get to that, I have to talk about, you know, the opening, uh, not the absolute opening, but, you know, the you know, where things are starting to to fall into place and the reality tropes are starting to come up and something terrible happens, something that's so horrifying that uh, Sarah and Ava are just screaming at the top of their lungs. They've seen the most horrifying thing imaginable and all the legends come crashing in and it's Gary and Gideon in bed and everyone's reaction is the same. Oh my God! This is you know this is horrifying. What has he done to you, uh, Gideon? Why are you making this terrible mistake? And yet, Nate is just—he's the only one who's—he's—he's he's like making eye contact with Gary and giving him a thumbs up, and everyone yeah. else is just this horrified. And I, Zari was was what 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 what? It was just oh my God! So so delightful, um, because oh, obviously that's going to be you know their reaction. But Nate is yeah, well done, Gary. Good for you. So I just I love that little moment and uh, and all of that and also their assumption that you know if Gideon is having feelings for Gary, it means that something is wrong with Gideon. And well, based on what we've seen of Gary, that's not you know an unreasonable assumption. But no, uh, Amy Louise was great through the entire episode. She played, you know, the uh, the slightly hurt uh, Gideon, the Gideon who was questioning herself and, you know, um, you know, uh, feeling somewhat dismissed by the rest of the team. Uh, and then the, the when she does the, the full turn towards dark Gideon and, you know, totally changing her look and her her outfit. And everything. But, you know, just sort of playing that that very cool outfit now. This might be headcanon on my part, but I'm not entirely certain that she was manipulated into that. And while she was manipulated into that, but I don't think that was the producer controlling her. I think that was Gideon basically saying to herself, oh, it would be so much easier if I didn't have emotions to deal with. I think that might have been Gideon doing that to herself, um, putting her into that Gideon mindset. And also, you know, that moment where she was talking about, you know, the other Gideon, the, uh, the evil Gideon, and basically came up with exactly what evil Gideon's rationale would be. Um, you know, showing that, you know, for all the fact that this is our Gideon and this is, you know, uh, the, the human Gideon, the emotional Gideon and all of that, she does, if she wants to completely understand what the, uh, the evil Gideon would be doing. So I think there was, you know, a, a lot more there than just a simple, you know, ho, ho, let's, let's make fun of the fact that someone would sleep with Gary, uh, moment. Um, you know, it, it, it really was, you know, uh, you know, a, a big part of this season has been, you know, Amy Louise playing, you know, Gideon through her her becoming human arc. And this, you know, I think was an important one. As you mentioned, the idea of, you know, especially the apologies to her at the end. And honestly, having Gary be the one to stand up and say, you know, uh, apologies are needed. And everyone, you know, and him saying, no, you have to apologize to Gideon. Because I do think on some level, you know, the, the other legends are still thinking of Gideon as the computer. You know, as little more than an Alexa. Uh, you know, to do their bidding. And Gary is the one who's saying, no, she's a human being. And you have to treat her with the same respect and deference that you would give to any other human being, any other member of the crew, because Gideon is not just a computer anymore. She is a member of the crew. And to have Gary say that, 
you know, um, and to have the the rest of the team acknowledge that and realize that they have been treating her badly because she's kind of been letting them because she's still treating them like they're the humans and she's just the computer. And so for her to go through this arc where she's realizing that, no, I'm a real girl and, you know, a, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, uh, and I deserve the same respect and deference that you would give anyone else. And, you know, I think, you know, again, the, the silly, 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 stupid show manages to hit a very important emotionally resonant moment, not just with Bayrod, but with, you know, as I said before, with the other, you know, emotional development of the characters. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Gideon is a great example of that. Oh, yes. After Gary defended uh, Gideon's honor in front of the other legends, his little bottom's getting it that night. I'm just saying. Okay, so let's see. We've talked about Gideon. I think we've talked about everybody. Um, Let me mention Gwen. During the whole reality show ridiculousness, uh, we have Gwen basically get all up in Sarah's uh, Real Housewife face, telling her, like, you made a promise to me, and I want the promise in writing. I had a feeling that note was going to come back and bite her in the ass. Uh, But um, it, it did, but it really didn't. Um, but she ends up writing, you know, I, we will save one person in the timeline. Uh, Gwen, in a very dramatic way, is like, you know, we're basically, basically gonna stop World War One from happening. Um, which le- causes a fight, and when they all sort of snap out of the reality TV show mess... Uh, Gwen apologizes and is like, you know, I understand that that's, that's a huge ask, but Sarah, even though Ava is kind of like, Sarah does promise that, uh, they would save, uh, the love of his life, um, with a little caveat, you know, as long as it doesn't, you know, they'll, they'll figure out a way that, that it wouldn't affect the timeline in a major way. But at the end of it all, after, you know, Gideon is able to really, to process everything, and to process, you know, what would be the best way forward, thinking, as she said, sort of like, uh, you know, scientifically, but also bringing in emotions and and really going with her gut, she says that they're going to have to stop World War I, which, you know, everyone says, What? And uh, I feel like that's how we all feel. (laughs) So, clearly, this has to do with the plan to stop evil Gideon. How this is going to work, I don't freaking know. But, uh, Professor, I'll I'll ask you first. Um, Yeah, were you surprised? Were you as gobsmacked as the rest of the Legends were when Gideon basically co-signed what uh, Gwen said. Well, definitely, but it it, it kind of makes sense because as I was saying earlier, remember that when Gideon was getting all rational, we realized that Gideon is fully capable of thinking like evil Gideon. And so, you know, if and this is pure headcanon on my part, but if you want to and you have to draw out evil Gideon and the evil legends, right? Somehow, what is the one action you could do that would cause the biggest anomaly possible? And definitely drag them out, but at a time when you will know they're coming. So essentially setting a trap for them. 
you know, historians will agree, most historians will agree that the most significant event of the 20th century was World War I. Everything that happened in the 20th century, the rise of communism, World War II, and, you know, the rise of nationalisms and stuff like that, all of those things were a direct result of World War I. So if you are looking for the single largest effect you can have from the single smallest action of saving one person's life, that would be the one to do. And I think the idea is to create the largest possible anomaly to draw out the evil wave rider and Gideon. Because remember, evil Gideon's role is to preserve the timeline, to get rid of legends, yes, but also the only way to pull them out is by creating these anomalies. So I think there's a logical reason for it, even though it just seemed like a, a crazy, what the hell are you talking about moment. Uh, you know, uh, so... I think that's the the reveal that we'll get is that there is a method to this particular madness. What's also going to be interesting, since you mentioned the word reveal, is the fact that the legends don't know that Evil Gideon has created robo-legends. Like, they just think it's androids after them. They don't know that the androids look just like them. So whenever this ends up happening, whether it's in the next or, or in the episode after that, the reveal, the shock that the legends are going to get, that the other, that, that, that um, Gideon's team is made up of uh, robo versions of themselves is going to be spectacular. Like, I, I, I'm waiting with bated breath for that moment because it's just going to be fantastic. Well, this is this actually sort of this would ordinarily fall into. Are there any little points that I didn't mention? But it, you just reminded me of something that I would probably forget to mention otherwise, because the idea of you know the the other uh, and and I don't think this is happening. This is this is purely an odd coincidence, uh, a, a thing that I noticed. But um, remember last episode when we saw the Robo Legends? Every time someone would slap steel on the back or hit him or anything like that, they added a clanging sound effect yes. because he was steel underneath. In this episode, there was the moment where Nate did the uh, the fist bump with, uh, was it with Zari or was it with, uh, with Gideon? And there was a metallic clang. Hmm. It, it, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything. It, it, I'm sure it was just, you know, because they do routinely add sound effects in these reality shows. So um, uh, I'm sure it was just done like that. But it did strike me that hmm, we heard that sound a lot in the last episode. And they did it every time someone would slap hands with him or clap him on the shoulder or anything like that. And in this episode, he did the fist bump. Um, and I, I don't remember if it was a fist bump with it might have been with Gideon after uh, he was doing the uh, the lifting. But there was definitely a, a slight clang noise there, which I noticed. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Millie Wood, what about you? I haven't asked you about uh, the Legends plan. Uh, what did you think of it? Were you surprised when Gideon mentioned it? and uh, Or do you agree with the professor that it makes the most sense? Because if they want to draw out evil Gideon... They're clearly going to have to make a huge mess. It's not going to be something tiny that ripples through time. It's going to be something that really alters history. I did think it was off, but the professor's thinking makes sense. I thought it was more of a maybe evil Gideon has somehow gotten to like our human Gideon, um, and this is all part of the plan. Uh, it just kind of makes me wonder like what are the connections between all the Gideons? Because I feel like this whole episode is hard because everyone was a reality TV show, but she seemed off besides just becoming a reality star in that persona um she seemed a little strange 
to begin with. So I, I don't know if that's something there, if that was more just part of the whole uh, gag for the episode. She did make all those jokes about murder. I'm just saying. But there was a moment last season, very early on last season, where Gideon was making jokes about murder, and I was very worried about Gideon. But then that turned into nothing. So so maybe that this will just be the gag, and that'll turn into nothing. You know, because we did have her saying, oh, I could just murder y'all. And they all were like, oh, ha, 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 ha. But then she said the other thing, and they were like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But then she was like, no, I'm serious. And they were like, oh. So it could have been just that for the gag. Um, yes. So... I will ask now the big question. Was there anything that I missed? A tiny little moment? And there is actually one thing for me. They changed the credits this time, or the I should say the opening title card. It was DC's Legends of Tomorrow, as usual, but it was all in fire because they were in hell and they were on a reality show. So, it, it, it you know, the, the title card was a little different, which I thought was a nice little touch. Anything else from Well, they else? also changed the fonts for the, uh, the, uh, the cast names. Yes, well. that is true. Um, this is, you know, again, just, you know, the, the, the craziness of this show. Um, so, uh, when Bayrod is doing his big, you know, emotional reveal and, you know, when you're doing a scene like that, you know, you have the long lingering shot on the person who's talking and then you have the reaction shots of the people who are watching him. And, you know, one of those reaction shots was of course, you know, to, you know, two or three of the legends watching one of whom of course is Spooner completely pixelated and naked, but still just watching with. You know, the, the standard, and again, just the idea that you would cut away to this, you know, this naked person, you know, fully pixelated to make it, you know, acceptable. But it was just so funny. And you know, this is pure headcount on my part, but I like to think that, you know, the, the Legends writers were, you know, writing this episode. And they were going, okay, uh, you know, Nate will be like a Jersey Shore bro, and Sarah will be a, uh, you know, a, uh, a real housewives. And what are we going to do for Spooner? And I like to think, and, you know, this pure head count on my part, that Lizeth Chavez was walking past the, the office, stuck her head, and go, I could be naked for the entire episode. How would that be? I, I would just like to think that that was, you know, her contribution to the episode. Fantastic. I approve. I approve. Uh, and the moment at the end, you know, Bayrod, Astro. Oh, God, yes. The tender moment. Oh, you guys are such dorks. Why are you still naked? Like, oh, I didn't even realize it. I got so comfortable. Beautiful. The gag. I mean, they just, they set up the gags. You know, we see that it's right there. And then, the, you know, there's the payoff at the end of something we didn't even know we needed. But it was spectacular all at the same time. All right. It's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. This is going to be one of those moments where I'm being selfish and I'm going to go first. Because I have to give it to Bayrod. Cheyenne Sobayan was fantastic in this episode. I've been a Bayrod fan from the beginning. Uh, he's, he's just brought a lot to the character and his different um, relationships have always been really, really interesting on the show. And to give him a storyline of substance, um, to, uh, to have him open up to his team in a way that he hasn't done before, I thought the actor did a fantastic job. And this was a really big moment for the character, um, Sorry for being a little selfish, but I just he was the MVP for me in this episode. And not not only because of the emotional sort of stuff that he went through, but also the maturity of him and Astra. 
because they could have just done the typical CW thing where, you know, after seeing you be so vulnerable, you know, I realized I have a crush on you too, Bayrod, and they would have kissed. They could have done that, and that would have been the typical CW schmaltzy shit. But we got a really grown-up moment between them where he was like, you know, I want to kiss you so bad. And, like, this is a moment I've been waiting for. But I'm just not there. And I want to be the best person for you that I can be. So let me get, like, whole, and then we can talk about this. I just, I, I thought that was a really great moment. Played well by Shion, as well as the writers just writing it in a very well, in, in, a, in a very grown-up kind of way. All right. Professor, who's your MVP and why? Uh, my MVP is Tala Ash, not just because we got uh, OG Zari, you know, face to face with uh, with New Zari, and we got to you know see the the versions. I'd given it Tala Ash much earlier in the episode, the scene where she's talking with uh, with Nate, um, and they're basically agreeing that you know we're you know they're they're going to try to manipulate us into the you know friends become lovers. We're not going to do that, and Nate says that would never happen in a million years. And Tala Ash's reaction that moment of wait, are you saying I'm not hot? <laughs> she just played that so beautifully, so perfectly. My God, Tala Ash is just, oh, she is a delight every week on this show and never more so than in this episode. I co-signed that. Her emoting to everything Nate was saying was spectacular. Like, just the facial expressions. Like, when he was like, 10 million years! Like, she was disgusted. It was beautiful. Millie Wood, what about you? Who's your MVP and why? I'll have to go with Sarah. I just think the, like, progressive, um, we see, like, every scene we cut to her, she, like, Katie Laz, as I mentioned before, like, really just embraced um, this reality persona, and I loved it. And just the small things down to, like, her hand gestures and everything just made it um, a great performance, but also that she had that real conversation with uh, Ava as well, just uh, amongst all this goofiness, there was progression in their relationship um, on the top of that. It was just a great performance overall. Another fantastic choice. Well, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 wave riders? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden wave rider. We're going to start off with you, Milliewood. Set the tone. Um, so it's might because I'm like a sucker for a reality show, but I just thought this was... Very brilliantly done. Um, as the professor used a certain word earlier, like it, it borderlines that, but there was so much to it that it just layers it. And while there is not a lot of plot movement, there's just a lot of fun character development. Um, and I think just like the all of the detail to make it and really go into this gag, like with the camera movements, everyone really just embracing their persona. So I'll have to give it a golden wave rider. Wow, this is a big moment. Millie Wood does not give out golden or archiving that easily okay all right I'm, I'm about to flip a table for for the golden from millie wood fantastic okay starting off incredibly strong with the golden wave rider professor where do you stand how would you rate this episode well i'm just glad that millie did give it a golden wave rider because i was standing here with a glass of wine in my hand and i was going to throw it in her face if she didn't okay. uh, this this was an amazing episode you know, I you know there there have been so many great episodes of of, uh, of Legends over the years. Uh, you know, I don't want to start playing. Was this the best ever? But 
in terms of this being a parody of something that was done, note perfect in terms of parody, but still giving us character development and allowing us to relate to our characters and, and finding out new things about these characters as a result of this. Um, you know, I said before, this is the, the smartest dumb show or the, the dumbest smart show out there, but damn, this was enjoyable. And uh, yeah, obviously this was Golden Wave Runner. And of course, I agree with everybody because it's the truth. It, this was a golden episode. It deserves the Golden Wave Rider. It was fantastic from beginning to end. Very rewatchable. Everybody brought their A-game. It was hilarious, yet emotional at the exact same time. You know, there were some really strong emotional moments. And, and the character development and the character growth was earned in this episode. Uh, so, after this episode, I'm, I'm curious to see where some of these characters go with it. Because a lot of uh, emotions bubbled to the surface. And um, it, it was done in a really fantastic kind of way. Yes, uh, Golden Wave Riders from everyone. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Papichilo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Papichilo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at papichiloradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Papichilo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at papichiloradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Papichilo Radio programs by visiting papichiloradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, listeners. Insert generic reality TV trope here. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along on Twitter, I'm at, at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. Episode 9, which was titled, Lowest Common De- Demon... That's so hard to say. I, I, I know. It's, I tried when I saw it. I, I couldn't say it out loud because I'm so used to saying... Denominator. Denominator. Demoninator. Demoninator, yes.